You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 5. Today we are in Albacete. He's, he's King Kenny to a lot of fans. Um, well, he's the king of the welter tonight, but how is, he, how is he known in the team? What kind of guy is Kenny Ellison? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, um, he's well-read, a uh, bit of a philosopher, and I guess if I, if I had to sum him up, I think of um, him as being um, Parisian rather than French. <laughs> and, and on the day of the welter that everyone said was gonna, well, there were going to be crosswinds, the flattest day of the welter, this place it got its name from, well, the Arabic for flat, the, the lightest guy in the welter takes the red jersey. Yeah, um, I mean, for sure he's a, a fan favorite, but I, I also think he's got a lot of friends in the peloton, so there'll be, there'll be a lot of people happy about it. Well, we open tonight with Kiel Reinen, the man with the longest hair in professional cycling, probably, who rides for Trek Segafredo and is a teammate of the new red jersey, the new overall leader at the Vuelta a España, Kenny Ellison. My name's Richard Moore, and I'm with Lionel Burney. Hola, Richard. Hola, Daniel. Oh, he's been and studying. Us, he's been studying before. We've neither been away. of us are with Daniel Freed. He's, he's going to embarrass us. Um, hello, Rich, from Spain. Hello from Albacete. Missing you. Missing yeah. you a lot. Well, uh, yeah, missing, missing you, missing the Vuelta. <laughs> Easy now. Uh, I'm missing the Vuelta. It's very strange to come away from the race, but I am going back, and I'm already kind of looking forward to that. Um, Can you hear but, the wind, um, chaps? Can you hear the wind whipping through this uh, taperia, this tapas bar? Um, Just where don't tell I'm me the wind yeah. started blowing as soon as the stage finished. Four hours Daniel. too late. Well, we sort of st we were studying the wind speeds all day, and um, it looked as though they were going to be between about 15 kilometers an hour and 20 kilometers an hour, and I thought that might be enough. And certainly, you know, all the teams, as discussed last night, all the teams, all the riders had the message that there was this turn at 31 kilometers to go, a left turn, and that was where it was going to all blow apart, as it always has done in Albacete, and it didn't happen. I mean, I saw quotes. I don't know if you chaps did from Fernando Escartín, the former. Um, Kelme rider who's now the sort of route master the route designer of the Vuelta uh, he said that he had designed today's stage to for maximum nastiness as far as as far as crosswinds were concerned but um, yeah it didn't well there was nastiness yeah there was nastiness wasn't there but um, not caused by the crosswinds I mean um, we heard Shell Ryan at the start there uh, describe the new red jersey we'll, we'll discuss Kenny Ellison and, and his unlikely ascent to the overall leadership, not least because of the interview he gave you this morning at the start, Daniel, where he explained how he had absolutely no ambition whatsoever to take the red jersey. So it's it's been fascinating in that context. Extraordinary, extraordinary um, how we plant ideas in riders' heads, isn't it? <laughs> you know, how, amazing, how I finally amazing. talked him around at the end of that interview, but we'll hear that later maybe. Yeah, he still looked quite a reluctant wearer of the red jersey on the podium, but I'm sure that was explained by the circumstances. Um, lots to talk about. Uh, can you give us a tale of the etapa, please, Lionel? I can do, Rich, yeah. Well, it was another long, straight road and another crash and a very costly one for the wearer of the red jersey, Rain Taramay, who, as you say, has lost the red jersey to Kenny Ellison because of that crash. Before all of that, there were the three amigos from the three... Spanish wildcard teams up the road. Uh, we've seen Burgos, Caja Rural and Uscaltel in the breaks pretty much every day. And three of them were away again today. Uh, Pulayo Sanchez of Burgos, 
Oyer Loscano of Cajaral and Xavier Asparen of Uscaltel, who was in the break the other day as well. And they were allowed to go up the road, never really got out of hand as far as the peloton were concerned. And they got dropped. Just, just a note on that, Lionel, just a note. Sanchez was in the break on the very first day. He was. He was. This- the first man, not, first man to start the time trial. Is there not a Sanchez in the break every day at the Vuelta? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, San, young Sanchez was the first man off in the time trial. So, he, you know, technically, he was in the breakaway that day. Well, he was also the first man dropped from the break with 34 kilometres to go. The leader still had a couple of minutes at that point. Everyone was anticipating this change of direction and uh, some crosswinds causing havoc with 31 kilometres to go, as you say, Daniel. But really, it wasn't windy enough even for sort of kite flying or I don't know a child a little child's windmill it was uh, fairly calm out there Asparen was then uh, dropped with 22-ish kilometers to go and that left Lascano out in front until around about 16 kilometers to go and then just as we saw yesterday although a lot closer to the finish yesterday there was a crash with 11.7 kilometers to go right in the middle of the bunch very close to the front it was unfortunately the Danish champion Mads Schmidt who went down first and caused chaos around and behind him. And another man in red, Ryan Tarame, was down. And he was down for um, a long while, really, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. The red jersey was slipping away from him. Uh, he didn't have a great deal of support from his Antamarche teammates. In fact, it took about five or six kilometres until a couple of them uh, dropped back and uh, joined him. Uh, I think there were three in the front group and one... Four. Th- four. Three in the front group and one just off the front group. One just by, yeah. yeah. So four, four Antamarche teammates uh, didn't stop. I suppose they did have a man interested in the sprint, didn't they? Um, and I suppose Louis Menkes has got a decent overall position to defend. Also, also, chaps, I don't want to encourage conspiracy theorists, but the fact that Ryan Taramai was wearing a red jersey sponsored by Carrefour which is a very big supermarket chain in France and Spain and Italy and other countries as well. And he rides for another extremely big supermarket chain um, in France and Marché. I mean, they might be completely coincidental, the two things. I don't know. I mean, it is an odd one, that, though, isn't it? That's an extraordinary... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, get yourself out of the race lead because you're advertising a different supermarket. I, I think that's... a. That's a stretch too far, even even for me. And I'm sitting here in a tinfoil hat, chaps. Anyway, um, just on Rain Tarame, uh, Will Fotheringham uh, posted a very droll tweet last night. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. Don't want to make light of his second crash in as many days today, but uh, that was a good bit of wordplay. Um, and other riders who were down, Mikel Nieve was down and had some uh, nasty-looking wounds. And Roman Bardet probably... Um, well, the, the biggest name to uh, hit the ground, and he has lost quite a lot of time. He came in in the last group. I think they were over 12 minutes down, 12 and a half minutes down. So that left the sprint, and it was a second stage win of the race for Jasper Philipson of um, of Alpecin Phoenix. Fabio Jakobsen was second. Uh, they are going head-to-head in these sprints, aren't they? But it's 2-1 now to Philipson. Overall, Kenny Ellison takes the red jersey from Tarame because Tarame came in two minutes 21 down and uh, Ellison on the podium pulled on his extra small red jersey and it still looked a little bit big for him. But he leads by five seconds 
uh, ahead of Primoz Roglic and Lillian Kalmajan in uh, third place overall at the moment. Jasper Philipson takes the green jersey back from Jakobsen, but there's only one point in it. You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. My name is Charlotte Hayes, and I am head of diabetes wellness and education at Team Nova Nordisk. I'm primarily here um, with the Talent AD camp. We have um, almost 30 young riders here who have been um, identified through our, our Talent ID pool. They've been invited here because they show promise and commitment to the sport. We're doing a lot of education with them. We did physiologic testing and lactate testing yesterday. We're meeting with them about their diabetes management on the bike to just kind of get a background with them, measuring A1C levels, and then looking at skills and um, fitness on the rides. So we did a three-hour ride with a time trial this morning. They'll be riding four hours tomorrow, five hours the next day. Um, so we're getting to know them. We're hoping that they're getting a lot of benefit from learning from us. Um, if you go in that room, they're in a ping pong tournament right now. So they're, they're um, getting to know each other. And um, one of the great things about Talent ID is that a lot of these kids have been racing and living as the N of one with type 1 diabetes in their communities. But now they have a, a whole team of you know, fellow cyclists like them. So there's a great bonding that's going on too. Probably the best part. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. And we heard there from Charlotte Hayes, who's head of diabetes wellness and education at Team Novo Nordisk, the all diabetic cycling team. Um, I spoke to her at the Talent ID camp that they held in Normandy a few weeks ago. And she was fascinating speaking about how technology is helping uh, diabetics to, to manage their diabetes and how with super sapiens that technology is now can now be used by everybody um you can win three months supply of super sapiens to um for continuous glucose monitoring uh, to help you with your fueling um go to the cyclingpodcast.com to find out how to enter we want a 60 second clip of ed audio 60 seconds or less telling us how and why you would use super sapiens um Daniel, it sounds very bustly where where you are. Where are you? Well, I mean, um, as explained earlier, Richard, um, in... Uh, uh, but where precisely <laughs> the, are you? I'm in the Taperia Sugar, um, which, is not an, which is not a Spanish word. It would be azúcar in Spanish. Uh, Taperia Sugar in Albacete. Um, Albacete, uh, a town that is, doesn't have a particularly sparkling reputation you know as a, as a tourist destination and um, i'm surrounded by albacete natives so i won't repeat there's a f quite a famous um spanish idiom which um refers to what you might like to do in albacete and how little time you would like to spend there but as i say if i 
if I oh, utter intriguing. it now, um, I might have the local heavies um, on me. Well, you might also you might also have the local heavies on you for mistaking. Oh God. We, uh, we had an we had an email from Hector Herans, yeah. who sounds Spanish. So very nice email. Thanks, Hector, for your email. But just a, a, a small thing. Uh, apparently, now you said ab, ab, abanichos. Is that right? Abanichos. Ab, you were talking about abanichos. Yeah. Abanichos. Um, they mean echelons rather than crosswinds, according yes, to Hector. Yes, that's well. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Abanicos. Um, well, we didn't. We didn't hear. We didn't see any abanicos today. Other, apart from after the crash, when you know there were groups kind of spread across the road, um, and uh, that was, I suppose, a little bit disappointing for those of us who like uh, crosswinds. You don't, Daniel. I mean, they make you sad. Um, so you, you'd be very happy tonight. Um, I was curious. I was curious actually to ask Napalm Rich, uh, he's been watching it on TV throughout this week, has it been a bit of a throwback, you know, across the sort of dust bowl of Castilla, uh, La Mancha, a bit of a throwback to those welters of the late 90s and early 2000s when on Eurosport you'd have David Duffield commentating in the UK and people like Inigo Charo and um, I, don't, I can't remember, Fabio Roscioli would be in the break every day and it felt a bit like that to me today. Yeah, it has been a bit like that, hasn't it? Long straight roads and my uh, dividing the welter up into different colours. It was certainly a brown stage today, wasn't it? Um, I'm half expecting Angel Casero to suddenly win it in a final day time trial. Maybe he could roll back the years, the 2001 winner. But yeah, it does feel a bit like a, um, a welter from 20 years ago in a way. Well, Daniel, you spoke at the start to the rider placed second overall um, and tantalisingly close to the red jersey, Kenny Ellison. I, um, I teed him up like a tight list Pro V1, didn't I? That will mean nothing to you, Richard. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I assume it's a golf reference. It is, it is. But yes, I had a, I had a lovely audience um, yeah. with the king this morning in Tarancon. <laughs> Okay, Kenny, 50, I, I've, I've mentioned your weight before in interviews, 52 kilos. You, you might be the lightest guy in the peloton. Um, on a day like today, how nervous are you? Uh, it's okay. I mean, uh, if I would do the GC, I would be afraid maybe, but no, I am no stress. Anyway, uh, the plan would be to lose time to be again able to go in a breakaway anyway, so... Uh, in two days, there is that little climb, and uh, yeah, I have Roglic is five seconds behind me anyway. So the plan would be to lose time at one point to to enjoy the half stage uh, while coming after in uh, Aron Alicante. So you're not thinking about general classification, no? I mean, because you're still very, very close. Yeah, yeah I know, but uh, the, the like the mistake would be to be between two chairs, you know, as we say in France, and uh, trying to do a little bit of GC and. Uh, but at the end, uh, you know, being stuck between the two positions and uh, finishing an uh, empty left end, you know, empty, uh, empty ended, you said? So I would, I, would, I think, prefer rather, like, lose time and uh, try to, to go for a stage. I mean, I miss the win uh, a lot, like, since a long time. I think the last win was Angliru, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was uh, eight years ago. So what do you make of that, chaps? Was, um, well, we know that... Uh, all joking aside, King Kenny was, um, well, he, he wasn't thrilled to take the red jersey in the circumstances that he did take them with Ryan Taramai crashing today. But um, it's funny, isn't it, how, you know, you can completely rule something out and almost, almost tempting fate 
um, in the so revert, reverse, in reverse, curse, yeah, I think, then um, he finds himself in the red jersey this afternoon. And you know, we were talking a couple of days ago about how long Taramai could hold on to it, but Kenny Ellison has Roglic is very, very close, but um, you know, he's a, he's a good climber, he's not gonna win the Vuelta, but he could have a a few days in well, red jersey could he not uh, this throws up a really interesting scenario because Rog is within a time bonus of um, mm, King Kenny's red jersey and tomorrow's finish is a two kilometer quite steep uphill finish and it is perfect for Rog it's got Rog painted all over the road effectively is it not also perfect for a breakaway though it, uh, it, given it could that. be but you, you know I was thinking about this earlier Rog effectively well he, he made no bones about the fact that he didn't want to go for the stage win or he sort of renounced the chance to go for the stage win at Picon Blanco so that was you know we talk a lot or I harp on about it all the time um, Rog's Rog's penchant for, t- for claiming a time bonus and how this has been key really to his Grand Tour win so far his two Vuelta wins and he's forsaken 10 seconds already at Picon Blanco if he was t- to decide that he wanted to give King Kenny another um, another day in red and you know another day with Jumbo Visma not having to pull um, could he engineer that tomorrow possibly um, by well, I don't know really how he could contribute to the break staying away um, but yeah, I mean, if two opportunities go past without him taking time bonuses, then that might that might be quite significant when we get to the end of the race. What about the circumstances that he took the jersey then? Because I mean, it was very close to the finish, wasn't it? Eleven point seven kilometers to go, and everyone was starting to think about the sprint. And Watarame well, was left completely isolated for a little while, and then. Uh, by the by the time he did join up with some teammates that the red jersey was completely gone uh, but the peloton didn't exactly push on did they they did um you know they did kind of respect the unwritten rule of of, of not uh, putting their foot on the floor as soon as um you know they they'd realized that the, the crash had happened behind them there was a sort of a lull a bit of a truce for a few kilometers but it wasn't enough to allow tarame to get back on um but you know elisond um, you know, couldn't do anything about that really. He couldn't sort of slow down and stop in solidarity. Um, he just had to ride in safely and take what came, which is the, the red jersey and uh, the, the first time that he's led a Grand Tour in his career. It was probably just just too close to the finish, wasn't it, for there to be a, a you know a wait? Because normally when the race leader goes down, the the, the bunch would wait or soft pedal for a bit. Had it been 20 kilometers out that might have happened but 11 kilometers was just a little bit too close to the to the finish and the sprint teams were all getting organized at that point weren't they so very unlucky for Taramai but I guess people will be flocking back to Antermarche tomorrow having been shopping in Carrefour for the the last couple of days and uh, um, he didn't he seemed pretty sanguine about it I mean he gets the King of the Mountains jersey as consolation doesn't he yeah, and he said that two days in the red jersey was enough for him. He'd, he'd enjoyed those two days. Um, but back to back to King Kenny, chaps, and this the sort of irony or the incongruity of... Is it incongruity a word? Is it incongruousness? Yes, yeah. it's a good word. The incongruity of King Kenny, the 52-kilo King Kenny taking the... It means crosswinds in Spanish. Yeah, taking the red jersey 
on the day when, well, which would be most favourable to a big, hefty ruler. Um, I, as well as talking to him this morning about, or him talking to me about how he would probably lose time almost deliberately over the next few days, I, I did also talk to him a little bit about his general craft in crosswinds and what he learned over the years um, as such a small rider. And a rider who, let's not forget, started his career um, in this kind of golden French generation of Thibaut Pinot and uh, Romain Baldi, being hotly tipped as a GC hope. Um, and, and that hasn't quite materialised. I mean, he's uh, with his stature, it's very difficult for him you know, to, to rival the best riders in time trials. But we did talk about crosswinds this morning. Crosswinds that didn't materialise, but he was certainly ready and waiting when the stress was turned on and the crash happened in the finale today. And Kenny, just on crosswinds, um, if you compare your approach now to when you started your career as a pro, what are the big lessons that you've learned about how to avoid splits in crosswinds over the years? What are the most important things you've learned? Uh, I mean, it's a team, team, uh, team effort, obviously, and uh, you need to actually be in position like 20k before the corners, uh, the crosswind happen, because then all the team block the road. And if you not you cannot pass anymore. It's not like you can even uh, with a, like, like let's say for example today like there is Edwin before, and you can say you can say oh I'm gonna sit at the back and go at the last minute because it's big road and the crosswind uh, so I can do a jump at the last minute before the left corner. But no, uh, already like before the corner with the headwind, all the team will be positioned like this. I can block the road until the left corner with the headwind. So. You need to be prepared like uh, maybe 40k before the, the crosswind section happens. So this is why you see often um, the bunch a bit stressed and like all on the same road a uh, long time before. So no, no the, the peloton is riding more defensive. You can see even yesterday like there were like no much chance of uh, crosswind, but it was uh, pretty nervous uh, all day actually. So yeah. Well, uh, this is this is a kind of uh, sentiment I have uh, learned in the years. Uh, you need to be in a good position more and more before it happens. Actually, will there be a lot of talk in the radio at that moment, or is all the work done before the stage? No, before the stage, we know we already know the the, the, the important point. We already know where you need to be in position. Uh, what can change and is we we have some scoot in the front of the race like let's say one guy from the team and he will have this instrument you know this tool with the wind and he'll say if the wind pick up during the day or it being it being less but at the end of the day even if, it, if they say less everybody will be positioned like the same because everybody is so stressful you know uh, stressed sorry and, um, and the DS or so they they put no pressure but you know they say you need to be in position because even if there is no real risk, but actually they say nothing and we are behind, then they have trouble also. So this is why every DS say you need to be in front, you need to be in front, and everybody wants to be in front. You better go or else you'll already be dropped before the start. Yeah. Thanks, Kenny. Well, King Kenny there, chaps, very popular wear of the red jersey, as we as we heard his, his teammate Kiel Reinen suggest at the start of the episode. Um, I mentioned, you know, when he turned pro 2011, well, he was a trainee with FDJ 2011. He'd won the Ronde Lizard, um that year, big stage race in the Pyrenees, which is always sort of 
earmarked some of the top talents coming through into the pro ranks. I think he, he could have turned pro with Patrick Lefebvre's team at the time, Quickstep, but he, he didn't want to. He didn't think that was going to be right for him. He didn't think he was mature enough. I learned today, chaps, as well, there's a curious a curious little Spanish um, connection or reference. He was born on the 22nd of July 1991 and there was some home video I don't know whether how soon after the birth but apparently you can hear or he King Kenny has said previously that you can hear the commentary from the Tour de France in the background and Miguel Indurain um, being congratulated on on taking or on holding the yellow jersey um, I think it was a stage from um, Gap to Ales or, or vice versa Ales to Gap in fact and yeah, Indurain was in the, the yellow jersey and yeah, King Kenny came into the world precisely at that moment. Um, 25 years ago, of course, Indurain was riding his last Vuelta España and so pulling to the side of the road just before the Lagos de Covadonga and retiring effectively. That Ronda Lizard race 10 years ago, that was, Ellison won it. I'm just looking up. George Bennett was second and Joe Dombrowski was third. And there's another couple of former winners of that race also riding this welter, Andrea Baggioli and Pavel Sivakov, our audio diarist. So, yeah, a, a, a Ooh, marker hear for future Siv. success. Well, what, should we hear from El Siv now? Because when, the, when we thought the crosswinds were going to materialise at 31 kilometres to go, he was the, the, the keenest for it, it looked. I mean, they obviously, you could see the GC team's massing at the front and it was uh it was Siv that really took it on didn't he and and really um really kind of went for it um until a, a tap on his on his rear from Egan Bernal um uh sort of stopped the effort you spoke to him at the finish Daniel well Pavel everyone knew that it was well there could be crosswinds at 31k to go you led into that bend and then we saw Egan put his hand on your back and was that to say look the wind's not strong enough yeah, it wasn't uh, really a great place. I think it was uh, it was a bit better uh, uh, closer to the finish. But yeah, we just wanted to be safe. Uh, I mean, if we can uh, if we can be in the front, just avoid any crash. You know, there is always a, a probability uh, to crash in, in one of those bends. So I uh, know we did like this. Actually, in the radio, I, I thought they were telling me to go. That's why I accelerated even harder. But uh, it was uh, it was actually the opposite. So. Uh, so yeah, yeah, he was yeah. The wind wasn't strong, but at the end, you also have to stay in front because we saw what happened uh, closer to the finish, uh, just to crash, and then the, the peloton split in two. It looked like there were a couple of teams who were still trying to split. Cerny of the Koenig Quickstep Group Armor a couple of times. Again, was well, was the direction right for the race to split, or was that wrong as well? I think uh, we would need it a bit more uh, tail, tail cross was more a head cross. Yeah, I think Astana went pretty hard at one point with uh, Izagiri and Vlasov, but uh, yeah, certainly closed the gap. And uh, I think that the wind wasn't strong enough. I think, I think uh, now it, it was more like the tension or and a crash that could cause some splits, so everyone wanted to be in front. And a big relief to get that day out of the way with, I think, all of your leaders came through safely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Big relief to... to that's one of those days you just want to get through. Um, yeah, everyone everyone got, got through safe. Uh, Richard was actually involved in the crash. I mean, he didn't crash, but he was uh, behind them. And then I had uh, to close the gap with him. Um, but yeah, we did it, so uh, no problems. I think I was good. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. 
Thanks very much indeed to Science and Sport, our longtime sponsor. If you would like to uh, f- stock up on Science and Sport sports nutrition products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, use the code SISCP25 for 25% off. SISCP25. Before the break there, we heard from El Siv, didn't we? And I guess the... Uh, the crosswinds that that we were expecting but didn't materialize was one of the stories of the day we were we were we were hoping for that even daniel i'm sure secretly was hoping for that and and all the as i mentioned earlier all the gc teams were certainly prepared for it but um it it just it just wasn't blowing quite strongly enough and as siv said sivakov that is it wasn't it wasn't blowing in the right direction as well, which was key. No, that's right, Rich. And there were a few teams who, well, sort of stubbornly refused to accept that the, the bunch wasn't going to split. Dakota Quick said, as they always are, they were really keen to split it. Um, Joseph Cerny, sorry, Joseph Cerny tried a few times, and as El Siv mentioned there, Astana also had a go at one point. But yeah, a little bit from the point of view of Fernando Escartín, certainly who I mentioned at the start of the the pod tonight, who had designed this course, designed this stage specifically because he wanted the race to be split apart. A little bit disappointing, I suppose. Um, there's another stage. Well, even tomorrow. There could be some wind and then there's another stage to La Manga in a couple of days where we could have wind again but uh, I think the the general classification riders will be very relieved won't they but it was it was interesting to hear there from Sivakov that he had actually had to pace Carapaz back um, after the crash today and you know this underlines again the perils of this multi-leader strategy that Ineos have um, they 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 came through unscathed today but the the domestiques have always got to be aware of what three guys are doing and where three guys are haven't they um bernal carapaz although carapaz has already lost time and yates yates i thought today looked very good he was right at the front where he needed to be at all times yeah it's a gamble though putting on a stage like this knowing that if the wind doesn't blow it's likely to be uh, extremely uneventful um but it, it wasn't because obviously there was a crash it was kind of the, the wrong sort of drama again um I'd, I'd much i know daniel crosswinds make you sad but i think crashes make me sadder because um it's uh, it's a, a, a an actual negative kind of impact on the race whereas crosswinds do reward you know risk taking and organization and 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 planning and strategy um but yeah, the wind wasn't strong enough. I mean, I was looking at the, the BBC's weather forecast and, of course, was looking for Albacete and it was saying sort of four or five miles an hour, which is not likely to be enough to, to split it. But, of course, out in the plains, out in the countryside where there's not a lot getting in the way of the wind if it's blowing, um, it could have been a very different picture. Um, but in terms of the impact it has on the race that, that perhaps... Um, you know, we don't appreciate quite so much. It's the, the, all of that nervousness, the jostling for position, the stress, everybody anticipating that the wind might blow, that this change of direction is at, at a certain point, 31 kilometres from the finish. And possibly, you know, that contributed to the crash because everybody's on their nerves for, what, 20 kilometres before the change the change of direction. Then maybe there's a little bit of a relaxation and then there's a, a another kind of, 
that wave of stress going through the peloton as the the race for the sort of 3k to go marker comes so you know although it didn't look action-packed it still has an impact on the race and as always there are winners and losers Taramay obviously losing red jersey but roman bardet of dsm um basically uh, well 12 and a half minutes his overall chance is completely gone but uh, perhaps even his uh, participation in the race will be in doubt depending on how uh, he comes through this evening and, and what the extent of his injuries are i continue that trend as well of, of these enormous pile-ups um, you know that we've seen a lot of these recently just a, a rider goes down and takes down you know two-thirds of the bunch it looks like uh, and i wonder if that's because they're they're bunched so close together again because of the threat of wind you know in in those if there's a, a threat of 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 crosswinds you tend to you're, there's nervousness but there's also just riding you're you're more tightly packed together and you know we saw yesterday taramai went down close to the finish when the bunch was going really fast and and he, he only went down on his own no, didn't take anybody with him today was just absolutely catastrophic in in you know in terms of the number of riders it affected and took down and what's amazing is that Bardet was really the only GC rider who seemed to be badly hurt in it. Well, we heard chaps, didn't we? King Kenny really spell it out in that interview with me this morning uh, how it's not just, you know, a kilometre or five kilometres even before the crucial moment that people are on the radio or or they know they have to be in position. It can be, well, he said, 40 kilometres before the crucial point. And and it's the same really for every team you know some some teams are maybe more meticulous more forensic than others but pretty much everyone has the same resources and we keep saying it don't we that this is definitely contributing to crashes and and nervousness in the peloton but it's it's very difficult to know or think of a way that that cycling can wind back from that um, you know a lot of these well these devices and apps and, and various things instruments that are used um, they help in various respects they help people to stay safe but it's just when everyone is trying to fight for the same for the same few centimeters of road then crashes are going to be inevitable and um, but well, the good rich, news sorry, the good just, news is just what sorry, sorry gone gone mate yeah, go on. I was just going to say, Richard, yeah, that this trend it is certainly in this race, you know, the, the crashes are happening right in the middle, very close to the front. And of course, the, 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 the message that all the riders are getting is if you get to the front, you'll be safer because there's fewer people in front of you, fewer variables, fewer unpredictable moves, perhaps. But um, certainly the last couple of days, the, the crashes have been happening in that sweet spot, the place where the, the riders would think perhaps they would be safer, the place where they're all trying to get to. I mean, it's uh, at what point do they do they think that perhaps it's a little bit safer to hang back? But as you say, Rich, that with crosswinds, even just leaving a you know half a bike length can be the difference between making a group and not making a group. So no no real chance to take any um, you know take chances really. One team that got lots of numbers through unscathed was uh, Upson Phoenix. We should really talk about um, the second stage win for Jasper Philipson, shouldn't we? Um, I was sure Arnold Demar was going to do it. They also had lots of numbers at the finish, but um, Upson Phoenix really doing a decunning quick step. You know, really impressive uh, as a team. Um, we keep saying it, but the you know. A, a one a one man team we thought at the at the start of the year and um they're proving to be one of the most successful one of the most prolific teams in grand tours this year 
Yeah, and they corrected the mistake they made yesterday, didn't they? There was some conjecture over whether Sasha Modolor had deliberately, well, taken a flyer as they came to the finish yesterday and, and Philipson had let him go. If you looked at the footage more closely, I don't think that was the case. I think Modolor simply got the timing wrong. But Philipson this evening, when he talked about the, the stage win in his press conference, he was, he was particularly pleased and effusive about the fact that the whole team had been there and contributing at the front at the end and contrast that with Group Arm FDJ who have really not got their timings right yet have they or haven't found their best legs um, certainly not on a consistent basis in the Vuelta and they sort of fell apart again a little bit Yeah they had the numbers but not the organisation really and you wonder again I think the, the the confidence and form of the, the main man, the sprinter, um, has a huge effect on the rest of the team, doesn't it? I mean, there was such a well-oiled machine at the Giro last year. Um, a lot of the same riders. Uh, but when DeMar isn't quite firing, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not quite as well-oiled. There's a bit of sand, a bit of grit in there. Um, no, very impressive by Philipson indeed. Um, and... Uh, Fabio Jakobsen up there again in second. What can you tell us though about the young sprinter, Italian sprinter Alberto Dainese on Team DSM? He's 23 years old and he's been he's been up there in a few of the sprints. Yeah, Rich, he's quite a well, he's quite a small, stocky sort of sprinter um, from Padova, which uh, was is synonymous as well in Italian cycling with another very good sprinter. Um, from the 1990s, Silvio Martinello, who was very successful on the track for many years. And um, yeah, Padova has, has quite a, a rich tradition of producing. Particularly good riders on the, on the flat and on the track. Endrio Leoni was another one in the 90s, another very good sprinter from that neck of the woods. So yeah, he's, he's very promising. And well, that was a, a bright note for them, wasn't it, today on a day when, well, it looked when uh, Roman Bardet crashed that he was going to be out of the race but he, he got up and um, well the team were, were quite hopeful this evening about Bardet's chances of continuing the Vuelta and I spoke to Matt Winston their direct sportif at the finish and, and he said precisely that that um, he was pretty optimistic about Roman Bardet's chances of continuing in this race at the time of recording at least yeah he actually avoided the original crash and kind of just got through on the uh, right hand side and then he was just hit from behind um, which then took him down into into the side of the road um, lucky that once again we have Dynema in the kit which has saved uh, a lot of the injuries um, we'll obviously assess him now after the race but he he was able to come across the finish line in a in a good way. Yeah, I mean he was he was in pain on the on the way into the line. Um, so our doctors will will assess him kind of this evening and um, yeah we'll make a judgment there. But he was he was safe to continue to get to the finish and that was the main thing for us. We checked him properly after the crash, made sure he wasn't concussed or anything like that, and then came to the finish with him in a in a good and safe way. Uh, but we'll keep assessing him through the evening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
Well, Dainese is definitely coming, going in the right direction. Fourth yesterday, third today. Uh, if that trend continues, uh, two more sprint finishes and he'll be the winner. Um, and DSM certainly need a win. They're one of the few teams, one of the few World Tour teams still waiting for a Grand Tour stage victory this season but just on the sprint it was a slightly unusual one wasn't it because i think the speed was knocked off so much after the crash you know it was sort of another 5k really before they got going again so it was a sort of a, a, a different and slightly truncated um lead out for um for the finish but just a word for jakobsen who obviously won yesterday found himself in not the ideal position and still managed to find his way through it was a it was an impressive move by Jakobsen and it's a it's brewing into quite a battle between these two Philipson and Jakobsen and uh, it's it's you know with quite so many potential sprint finishes still to come uh, it's good to see that we've got this uh, well-matched contest between the two of them and of course they're not just going for stage wins but the the race for the green jersey is uh, up for grabs as well as i said just one point in it with philipson taking the green jersey back from jacobson today and uh, with the, the the number of points on offer at the intermediate sprints it does mean that these stages have got um, a bit more going for them than than just you know basically waiting for the windsock to pick up or um bracing yourself for crashes well, what are we expecting tomorrow, chaps? Is a, a nasty kicker at the end. At least there is, according to the road book. I'm sure you've dug a little bit deeper, Daniel. Um, what what do well, we expect? Do tomorrow? you want an omen, chaps? Um, a, a little pointer to who might do well tomorrow. <laughs> so the the finish tomorrow officially. It's yeah, that, that just passed him by, didn't it? He didn't hear <laughs> Sorry, that, I did didn't he? Hear you gone. A Sam omen. Oh, a Sam omen. Very good. Extremely good. You're still on top of your game, Rich. Um, in spite of not being here um, the finish tomorrow is in Cuyera which is in the Valencian community and it's it's actually it's real name the, the climb where we finish tomorrow a little climb two kilometer climb is the Muntolo or the Montaña del Or um, the golden mountain um, who could possibly win there who has mm. come to the oh. Vuelta a España oh. Well, three. There are three possibilities. Rather exaggeratedly bedecked in gold. Um, well, um, Richard Carapaz or Primoz Roglic or Tom Pidcock, who doesn't seem to be sporting any gold there at all, go. does he? Pidcock actually He's could be could be a, a good bet. Um, we we were wondering the other day, just briefly on Pidcock, what he's doing at the Vuelta. I mean, shall I find <laughs> out? Is this a mission that you're giving me to find out tomorrow morning? I think I, I wonder. I but I wonder. We were expecting great things from him, and he does seem to be. I mean, as much as you can, riding within yourself. I spotted him today chatting for a long time to Jack Haig at the at the back of the bunch. Not a care in the world. But I wonder if he's training, if he's using it partly as to gain experience, obviously, his first Grand Tour, but also um, with the worlds in mind because it's a very similar course to uh, Brabantse Pale where he was second, of course, to Wat van Aert earlier in the year. Ooh, I've got another shout. theory. He's here... Mm-hmm. He's here specifically for tomorrow's stage. The very famous Medusa Dance Music Festival that is traditionally held in mid-August and, in fact, was last was last week. And he's just a week late. Oh, <laughs> right. Have you well, ever heard of, I'd never heard of I'd never heard of this because no. I'm not really into dance music, but this is apparently a big thing in Cuyera. Either of you? Wow. Lionel? I'm in sure your Lionel's Ministry been. of Sound days? No, no Benicassim, a big festival at Benicassim, yes, lots of dance music of there that's um, but i mean that's that's a different one 
<laughs> well, no. Um, well, I mean, w w while you're there and we're not, Daniel, we can basically just ass assign uh, missions to you. We can give you jobs to do. So please, uh, tomorrow, um, find out what, what Tom Pigcock's plans here are. Uh, if, I can, if I can impart just the last couple of pieces of useless trivia, um, the, this mountainous hill above Cuyera is um, apparently the last mountain. I mean, it's not really a mountain. It's 233 meters high. It's the last mountain or the last elevation of the Iberian system before the Mediterranean Sea. Um, oh, do you know what? I was kicking myself slightly, Rich, because last night I went down a bit of a rabbit hole reading about Molina de Aragon, where we were yesterday, which apparently... Mm. Um, it has become infamous as what's, well, what people call a, a population desert. It's the, one of the least populated places in Europe, got lower population density than Lapland and Siberia. And it's also known as the Spanish Siberia because um, wow. it's also consistently one of the coldest places in Spain. Wow. Well, well, well. It did, it did feel, as I said in last night's podcast, desert-like. Um, very, very barren and... Uh, yeah, you, you went through little villages and towns and lots of people out watching the race, but um, nothing for miles and miles around. Um, yeah, fascinating. Um, what, what, what are your plans now then, Daniel? Where are you headed tonight? We are heading, well, I'm heading about halfway. I think I've got about an hour's journey to the hotel tonight. I heard tonight that the team, a lot of the teams, I don't know if it's all of them, because hotels are pretty scarce around here, um, maybe for the reasons I explained earlier about Albacete, it's not exactly a, a, a well-known tourist destination. A lot of the teams are staying in Valencia, and Valencia is right on the coast, mm. and... If they are staying in Valencia, they'll have to come another, I don't know, hour or more, a couple of hours inland to the start tomorrow, and then they'll end up tomorrow after the stage at very close to Valencia again. So I think that the general consensus so far in the Vuelta is that the transfers have been pretty gruelling and pretty long, and that's not going to stop this evening, certainly as far as the teams are concerned. Well, we wish you luck on your transfer. Um, just a little... Uh, reminder that our latest episode of Kilometer Zero was released today. The other Slovenians um, doesn't really need much more explanation than that. It's an interview with some of the Slovenians who are in the race, well, the three Slovenians who are in the race, another couple of people on the race who are Slovenian as well. And it does actually include uh, a little word from Primoz Roglic at the start, um, who, with Tadej Pogacar, is is one of the one of the two superstars from that country, of course. So it's a little little dive into um, what's going on in Slovenia uh, from the perspective of some of the guys who we don't hear from as much as we do from Roglic and Pogacar. And the third episode in our Kilometer Zero series will come out on Friday. It's in the works. Um, so listen out for that. Yes, looking forward to that one. Well, safe travels, Daniel, and um, hope you find a nice, nice place for dinner and maybe a glass of uh, the local wine. Maybe a Bobal tonight. Bobal. You're making me... I'm really feeling like I'm missing out now. Don't know about... Crosswinds don't make me sad, but missing out on nice dinners in Spain with beautiful wine, that, that makes me sad. you were going to say with tremendous company there, but no. And that yeah. as well, of course. Yeah. Well, good luck to you, and we'll, we'll, we'll speak to you again tomorrow. tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lionel. Cheers.